You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today we are in week six of a nine-part series that we're calling From Dream to Reality, where we're taking a look at the life of Joseph that's found in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. And we're looking at the nine character tests that he took, that we all have to take for our dreams to actually become reality. And so far we've talked about the pride test, the pit test, the Potiphar test, the purity test. Last week, Jasmine, uh, she shared so brilliantly about the perseverance test. That was such an amazing message. And today, if you're taking notes, which I really hope that you are, there's going to be a lot of content today. We're going to be talking about, write this message title down, the power test. Another way that we can phrase this is the influence test. Listen, how you handle power how you handle promotion, how you handle influence will be one of the greatest character tests that you will ever take. And here's my challenge to you today, church, is to really lean in. I I really dream of us being a lean-in church. That's how I like to put it. We're a lean-in church. Uh, not, Not to hear from a man, but to hear from God. That every single time we open up God's word, that it's alive and that it's active. And that it will speak to every single area of our life in every season of our life. And I believe today that God wants to speak to you. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to lean in today, like really lean in to what God wants to tell you today. And before we read God's word, let me catch you up with where we're at in Joseph's story. Because last week we talked about how Joseph, that he got falsely accused of sexual assault And he was unjustly thrown into prison. He did not do that, but it didn't matter. He got thrown into prison, but he still made the choice to get up every single day and to live for God. That he made the decision, I'm going to live for God. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to treat people right. And God ended up blessing him in that prison and elevated him to a leadership position within the prison. And that's where we pick it up. In Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse 1, it says, Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. Now, the Pharaoh was like the president or the, the king of Egypt. So, so this guy was, was, had, had a lot of power. And uh, they made him angry. And uh, it said Pharaoh became angry with these two officials. And he put them in the prison where Joseph was in the palace of the captain of the guard. And they remained in prison for quite some time. And the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph who looked after them. And while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night and each dream had its own meaning. And when Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. Now, let me pause right here and say that absolutely blows me away. Remember where he's at. They're in prison. I don't know if you, like, think about that. Do you think everybody's walking around prison just real chipper and like, hey, life is good, isn't it, brother? You know, like that, like sometimes like you'll experience in the lobby here at church. That's not the case. I would figure most people are like, I'm in prison. This is awful. But for some reason, What he saw when he saw those two men that had dreams, he saw, and the Bible says that that he noticed them. 
And I'm telling you, that challenges me so much. Because when I read that, I'm like, man, do I see people? Like, do I notice people? Something I pray almost every single day is I ask God, God, would you give me eyes to see people the way that you see people? Because I believe if he does that, it changes everything. And, you know, not only does he see them, here's what also blows me away. Not only did he see, he cared enough to do something about it. And here's what we have to understand when we read Joseph's story. Because in his total story, this is the turning point. This is when everything changes. Like his life is never the same. And listen, let me just go ahead and tell you, you never know how God can use you when you see and you notice and you care for people. It can literally change your life. Think about that. Think about if, if you this week, wherever you go, at your job, everywhere you were, that if you saw people and you cared for people, like that could literally change your life this week. And he goes to them and he checks on them. And that right there changes his life. His life was never the same after this moment. And they tell Joseph their dreams and Joseph immediately realizes that these weren't like just normal, random, weird dreams. Like that these dreams were not just dreams, like they were prophetic declarations of what God was about to do in their life. And so after he hears about their dreams, Joseph interprets their dreams. He starts with the cupbearer and he says, hey, cupbearer, I've got some really good news. Your dream, what that means is that in three days, you will actually be restored. You will be taken out of this prison and restored back into your original position with Pharaoh. And he says, the only thing that I want you to do, the only thing I ask is that please don't forget me. And then he turns his attention to the baker. And I imagine the baker, when I read my Bible, I'm sure he's like so excited because he's like, did you just hear that guy? And he kind of leans up on the edge of his seat. He's like, I'm so excited. What about me? What about my dream? He goes, well, I'm so sorry, but I've actually got bad news for you because your dream Sorry, but it, you're actually going to die in three days. Instead of being elevated back to your position, you're actually going to be executed by Pharaoh. In fact, the Bible says that he will be impaled on a pole. Like a human shish kebab, just quunk, and just right there, just on there. And it says that the birds would go and like just peck at, peck, this is a bird, and the, the birds would just peck, peck, at, peck at your flesh. It's like, how about that dream for you, Baker? And um, so he, he gives those dreams. But remember for the cupbearer, he says, hey, when you get back, the only thing I ask is please don't forget me. Well, after all that happens, the very last verse in chapter 40 and verse 23, it says, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, <laughs> never giving him another thought. The very next verse in Genesis 41, verse 1, says, two full years later. Two full years of still being in the prison. It says that, that Pharaoh, that he had a dream. In fact, it goes on to say that he has two dreams. And in verse 8, it says, the next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dreams. So he called for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. And when Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. 
Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I've been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago, you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. And one night, the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. And there was this young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard, talking about Joseph. And it says, we told him our dreams and he told us what our dreams meant and everything happened just as he had predicted. Verse 14 says, so Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once and he was quickly brought from the prison and after he shaved and changed his clothes, apparently you gotta get right before you go see Pharaoh, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night and no one here can tell me what it means, but I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is, I love this answer. He says, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can. By the way, that's a word for some of you right now. You can't, but God can. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh tells Joseph about his dreams and then Joseph interprets them. He says, okay, both dreams are not just random dreams. Like they are prophetic declarations of what God is about to do. That God is about to have seven years of plenty. For seven years, everything's gonna go well. For seven years, there's gonna be tremendous prosperity. But then that will be immediately followed by seven years of severe famine. And not only does he interpret those two dreams, he then just offers some free advice at the end of it. And this is what he says in verse 33. He says, therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years, that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses, store it away and guard it so that there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. And Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man, so obviously filled with the spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. I find this funny. This is Pharaoh talking. The guy that's in charge, he says, man, you are better looking and smarter than I am. And it says in verse 40, he says, so here's the deal. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I sitting on my throne will have a rank higher than yours. And so Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. So Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of Egypt. I know it's a lot of verses. It covers two chapters of the Bible, but there's some really good stuff in here. 
And I think it's really easy to read all these verses and to read this story and immediately think that Joseph was an overnight success. After all, one day he woke up as a prisoner. And the very next day, he woke up as the second most powerful person in the entire world. That sounds like an overnight success to me. But in reality, Joseph's overnight success, it really took 13 years. Like 13 years of being faithful, 13 years of doing the right thing, 13 years of diligence, 13 years of serving other people, 13 years of choosing a good attitude, 13 years of not giving up, 13 years of perseverance, 13 years of refusing to quit no matter how hard it got. And even though that process was for 13 years, The truth is, everything changed in his life in one day. And listen, that should encourage you. Because what that means is that God is so good. And that God is so powerful. That he has the ability to change things in our lives and in our circumstances in one day. See, the truth is, the process may be a lot longer than one day. But he does have the power and the goodness to be able to change things in your life in one day. And Joseph, he went from having very little power as a prisoner to having a whole lot of power. Now, the question is, would he be the same person when he got all that power? And that is the power test. So for the rest of our time today, I just want to answer three questions involving this subject of power. And here's number one, write this down. Where does power come from? Where does power come from? Now the Bible is very crystal clear on this one. Here's what it says in Psalm 62 verse 11. It says, God has spoken plainly and I've heard it many times. Power, oh God, belongs to you. Psalm 75 Verse six and seven, it says, for promotion and power come from nowhere on earth, but only from God. Here's what that means in the context of Joseph's story. See, Pharaoh didn't promote Joseph, God did. And it's really important for us to wrap our minds around that, that promotion, it doesn't come from the earth. It doesn't come from a boss. It comes only from God. Let me show you one more example of this. This is probably my favorite one in John chapter 19. Um, And Jesus, this is right when he was betrayed by one of his followers, and then he was arrested, and he's on trial before Pilate. And up until this point, he hasn't said anything. He was letting God be his defender, wasn't literally saying anything to all these accusations. And then it says this in verse 10. Pilate says, why why don't you talk to me? Pilate demanded, don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? Let's remember, he is talking to the son of God. And he says, don't you realize that I'm the one? that has all the power right here, right now. And then Jesus, he said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. And then in my imagination, I think he just did this. Just drop the mic right there. And Jesus makes it clear. The Bible is very clear that all power 
all promotion, all influence, that it comes from God. And that means you too. Every bit of power, every bit of influence, big or small, it comes from God. The second question is how do we get that? Like how do we get power? At least what does the Bible say? Because when you look at Joseph's story, think about how did he get power? Like how did he end up where he was? Like he never networked. He didn't give out his resume to anybody with a pulse. Like he didn't like promote himself. He didn't market himself. He didn't go around telling everybody like how awesome that he was. He didn't go around being like, hey, did you hear about my leadership in Potiphar's house? Hey, did you, did you, did, have you heard about what I did and how I made a difference in the prison? Like how I led and how I did all these things. He didn't do any of that. What I see is that he was just confident in who God made him to be. That he just stepped in and was like, this is who God has made me to be. I don't have a, I don't need a title to be able to be who God's made me to be. I don't need the position. I'm just going to step in and do exactly what God has called me to do. And I'm going to humbly love and serve other people every single opportunity that I get. And just look through his track record. Think about all the different places that he's been since he was in that pit. In Potiphar's house, that's exactly what he did. When he was in the prison, that's exactly what he did. And then whenever he was faced with that one opportunity where he noticed, and then he asked about, hey, how are you really doing? And then they gave him his dream, he, that opened up a door for him to get an audience with Pharaoh and to be able to have a chance to do the same thing for him, which opened up a door for him to be promoted. And the whole time, what I love is that he just humbly gave credit to God. It's, like, it's not me, it's God. And listen, there are so many ways to get power. And not all of them are good. That's just the truth. We live in a world where that is not always the case. But I'm telling you, the Bible talks about that there is one specific way to get more influence, to get more power. And Jesus actually talks about this in Matthew chapter 20. In verse 25 and 26, it says this, but Jesus called them together. By the way, this is his followers, his disciples. And he said, you know that the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people and officials, they flaunt their authority and those under them. So those with power, man, they just make it really hard for those. But then he says this, but among you, among my followers, it will be different. Listen to what he says. He says, whoever wants to be a leader, in the, in the NIV translation, it says, if you want to be great, that whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Now, in theology, this is actually a term called the, it's, a, it's called a spiritual law of paradox. So if, if you're like into theology and want to dive a little bit deeper, like write that down, a spiritual law of paradox. And uh, it, it, they're found all throughout the Bible. It's, it's, these, it's these moments where like God's ways of doing things is almost like the exact opposite of what you would probably think. It's where God's ways are for sure completely different than what culture says. 
Let me give you some examples. And I'll put these on the screen. That, like here's an example of a spiritual law of paradox. If you want to truly live, you must first die. Like that's kind of, that, that's a paradox. So the Bible says, the Bible says, hey, if you, if you want to truly live, like live the best possible life you could ever live, like you got to die. Here's another one. That if you want to be first, be last. Here's another one. If you want to receive, you got to give. Like if you really want to get a lot of stuff, you got to be generous. If you want to have authority, you must first be under authority. And then this, what we talked about today, that if you want to be a leader, become a servant. In other words, that if you want power, if you want promotion, if you want more influence, humbly love and serve people. I like to put it this way, that if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. Let me put it this way, that if you're too big to serve, then you're too small to have power, to have influence. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6, it actually talks about this. It says, God, he opposes the proud, but gives grace. Another word for that is like favor. He gives grace, gives increase, gives blessing to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. See, I truly believe that those with power really understand that they don't have a whole lot. <laughs> and so like it says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. I love this verse and I hate it. I don't know if anybody's with me on that one. Like, I love this one, but I, I really dislike it as well. Um, but this verse, it actually reminds me of football. Do we have any football fans that are here? Any football fans? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. We're only 95-ish days away from week one of the NFL season, uh, something like that. Um, any uh, not football fans in, the, in, in, in church today? It's okay. It's okay. You can be honest. This is a safe place, okay? We still love you. Okay, um, so if that's you, and, and, and forgive my sports metaphor, it's what God told me today. Um, and so, you know, that, like, because what he told me is that, like, the, the Christian life, like, following Jesus, that it really is like a game of football. And what's so cool about God is that um, God gives us the ball. And God loves for us to be the ones that score the touchdowns. So God says, here, you teach. Here, you preach. Here, like, you pray for the sick. Here, you, you, you encourage that person that needs to be encouraged. Here, you share your faith and tell someone about Jesus and lead them to Jesus. Here, you invite somebody to church. Here, you live your everyday life on mission. Here, you, you serve on the dream team. Here, you raise up the next generation. Here, you, you, why, why don't you go lead that group? Here, you start the business. And he loves to give us the ball and, and because he's like, I want you to do it. But then he adds, uh, come here, Alex. Come here, buddy. Come up here. Come up here. Okay, this is Alex. He, he serves on our... On a lot of teams, but today he's serving on security. So he has my back. Come, come closer to me. Okay. Closer to me right here. Okay. So, so in this illustration, 
um, I'm going to ask you in this moment to represent God. Okay. So in this moment, my man, Alex, he represents God here in this moment. And here's what he says. Like God says here, I want you to have the ball. I want you to be the one to score the touchdown. Here's the only thing that I ask is that you let me block. Is that just stay behind me. Like I'll be your lead blocker, like a, like a good fullback. And what I'll do is I'll lead the way and take care of any obstacle that you have so that you can score the touchdown. And at the beginning, here's the truth. It is so easy to live your life like this. Whenever you first make a decision to follow Jesus, think about the first time that you ever led a group and how scary it was. It's like, oh God, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Think about the first time that you ever served. Think about the first time that you ever shared your faith with somebody. The first time you ever had the courage to invite somebody to church. And the very first time you did, it's like, oh, help me, God, I am staying as close behind you as possible. You know, some of you have taken a step of faith and started a business and you remember those first few weeks where it's like, man, I am so desperate and so dependent upon God right now. I know I cannot do this without him. And God's like, just stay behind me. I got you. I'll block, I'll lead the way. But how many of you know that over time, like whenever you start, you get some experience, you start to have some success, people start to compliment you on those things. It's like, man, you are so good at being a group leader. Like you are so talented, you are so gifted, you are so good churchy word, anointed, you're anointed. And we start to hear all these things and it's like, you know what, I am. You know, like that, like that song that we sang, I am who God says I am. Yes, I am. You start feeling yourself. You're like, yeah, I'm starting to put some points on the board. And life is good. And so the truth is, yeah, I can do this. So maybe I don't need God as much. And it's so easy for this to change. Listen, success can easily lead to pride. It can easily lead to you being self-sufficient. That I can do all this by myself to where you're saying like, God, thank you for blocking for me all this time. But now with the skills that I have, with the ability that I, I have, I don't need you anymore to block for me. You can go ahead and take a seat on the bench. But listen, here's the truth. God never takes a seat on the bench. In fact, if you look at this verse, it says that God opposes the proud. So that means he doesn't just stop blocking for you. Face me. It says, instead of blocking, he turns and he starts playing defense. Opposes. That's the same word where we get the word opponent. That it says, instead of blocking for you, instead of taking care of all those things, okay, now I'll switch and play defense. And I am just as good at tackling as I am at blocking. Thank you. And it says this, listen, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So how do we get power? Well, there's a lot of different ways. But God says, hey, humbly love and serve people. But the most important question, I believe, is question number three. And that is, what is the purpose of power? What is the purpose of power? What is the why behind every bit of power, influence, promotion? What is the why? Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So God gave Jesus power. Why? And it says, Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So what is the purpose of power? The purpose of power is to do good. The purpose of power is to always help other people. Listen, God did not promote Joseph for Joseph's sake. He did not promote Joseph so that he could have fame, so that he could have status, so that his sleeping arrangements got better. He did not promote him for any of that stuff. God promoted Joseph so that he could help a whole lot of people because a severe famine was coming their way that was going to impact and destroy a lot of people's lives. And God said, there's a man that I can trust enough to help all these people. Listen, write down this principle that God's heart is always for people. So God's power is always given to help people. We have to get this today. That is the purpose behind power, that God's heart is always for people. So God's power is always given to help people. But here's the tension, at least the tension that I feel. Because not every person uses their God-given power for God's purpose to help people. I mean, like our history... History is full of examples and stories of people who do not use their power for God's purpose of helping other people. And so how do we reconcile that within our life and within circumstances? Listen, make no mistake about it. God's original purpose of their power was for them to help people. But God, but God always gives us choice. But the original purpose of their power was for them to help people. And the same is true for you and me too. See, the purpose of every bit of power of influence that God has given us has the purpose of helping other people. People in our home, if you are a parent, that means your children. That in your friend group, at your job, in your business, in our city, in our community, at your school, on social media, every bit of influence that you have is to help people. It doesn't matter if it's a little bit, it's to help people. If it's a lot, it's to help people. Listen, it is not for you. The power that you have right now, the influence that you have is not for you. It's not for your fame. It's not for your status. It's not for you to have more juice and for you to be able to have your name that gets bigger. It's not for money. It's not for all the perks because the truth is you can have all that stuff. And I don't know if you've learned this yet, 
But if you keep going down that path, I promise you at some point, you'll realize all those things, my pursuit of all those things, my pursuit of money, my pursuit of status, my pursuit of going to that job or getting that promotion, or once I reach that, once I reach this level of followers, once I, whatever the case is, having that perk, if I can get that, it'll ultimately, you will find that it will fall short. However, if you step in to the fact that that type of power and influence, the purpose behind it that God has given you is to help people. And every time there's an increase in that is to help more people. Here's what you're gonna find. You're gonna find that there's a level of fulfillment deep into your soul that is unlike anything else. See, psychologists, they actually have a term for this called transcendence. Psychologists, not pastors, psychologists. There's a term for it called transcendence. And what that means is that for you to reach the the ultimate level of fulfillment, the most fulfillment that you can ever find in life is not when you achieve a bunch of stuff, it's when you help others achieve a lot of things. It's when you help people, it's when you serve people. So what is the purpose of power? It's always given to help other people. And the truth is there's no greater example of this than Jesus, who not only had power, who not only used his power to help a whole lot of people, but ultimately gave up his power to save all of humanity, including me and you. And one of the best examples of Jesus actually living this out is found in Matthew chapter 26. And just context behind these verses, it's when he was betrayed and he was arrested. It's in that moment in the garden where everything in his life is changing. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 50. It says, the men grabbed Jesus and arrested him. And one of Jesus's followers pulled out a sword and he's defending Jesus. And he struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus told him, and put your sword away. Anyone who lives by fighting will die by fighting. And then he says this, don't you know that I could ask my father and he would at once send me more than 12 armies of angels, not 12 angels, 12 armies of angels. It's like he's saying, don't you know the power that I have? But then how could the words of the scriptures come true, which says that this, what's happening right now, it must happen. In other words, if I use my power that way, I won't be able to do what I came here to do. I won't be able to help and to serve all these people. And this right here, by the way, the the term for this is meekness. And a lot of times we confuse weakness with meekness. But it's not weakness. See, meekness, the actual definition of it is power under control. See, because Jesus had power, but he chose to be able to not use that power in that way. And I remember growing up in, in, a, in a church where we consistently sang old hymns. 
these old classic songs that maybe, maybe you grew up in a church that sang a lot of hymns. And uh, every now and then when I'm studying for a message, I feel like God will bring back one of these songs that I grew up singing over and over again as a child because they're so beautiful and they're so rich. And I remember this one song that was called, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels. And listen to these powerful lyrics. The first verse says that they bound the hands of Jesus in the garden where he prayed. Talking about what we just read in Matthew chapter 26. They led him through the streets in shame and they spat upon the Savior so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him. He's to blame. And the chorus says, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. Verse two says, upon his precious head, they placed a crown of thorns. They laughed and said, behold the king. They struck him and they cursed him and mocked his holy name. All alone, he suffered everything but he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and for me. And then the last verse says, to the howling mob, he yielded. He did not for mercy cry. The cross of shame he took alone And when he cried, it's finished, he gave himself to die. Salvation's wondrous plan was done. But he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And here's what I was challenged with all week. I think it's so easy for you and I to hear what Jesus has done for us. The fact that he laid aside his power. The fact that he loved us so much that he died for us. That he paid for our sins. That he provided a way for us to have right relationship with God. I think it's so easy for us to hear that week after week. I think one of the challenges of being a Christian for a long time is that it's almost like we become numb to that. It's like it just bounces off our heart, becomes white noise. And, you know, especially if like, man, I'm going to church every week. I read my Bible every day. It is so easy for us. I think to be able to let that just become common. But here's what I was challenged with so much this week. Please, I'm asking you to open up your heart, open up your soul and let this sink in, maybe in a fresh new way that all the things that he did, he didn't have to, he chose to. That when he looked at all of humanity, When he looked at you, he didn't have to do any of that stuff. He had the power to be able to stop it. 
He had the power to be able to call on armies of angels and say, I'm not doing that. I'm not going through that. He didn't have to. But what is so powerful today is that he chose to. Why? Because he loves you so much and he wants to have a relationship with you. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And before we end today, I want you to ask right where you're at. I'm asking you to be still. I'm asking you to be locked in right here in this moment, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. Right now, would you pray and would you ask God, God, what are you saying to me today? I believe that God wanted to say something to you specifically today. So ask him, what are you saying to me? Maybe ask him, what does my response need to be to this message? Is there anything you want me to do? Is there any way that my life needs to look different? Maybe for some of you, it is that you need to recognize that every bit of power and promotion and influence and increase in your life has been given to you by God. Maybe for you, this is what was so convicting to me, is that maybe you've even said this, Man, I've earned everything that I got. That's been me. And I think just what, I think the Holy Spirit of God may be saying to you is like, hey, today recognize that everything in your life has been given to you by God. Maybe right now, your, your step is to just settle in your soul that whatever power that God has given you now and whatever power he's gonna give you in the future, that you are going to use it for his purposes, that you're gonna use it to help people, that you're gonna use your business to help people, that you're gonna use your relationships to help people and serve people, that you're gonna use the finances that God has blessed you with to help people, to serve people, that you're gonna use every bit of influence that you have to help and serve people. Maybe you're here and you've just been trying to do things on your own. You've been trying to score some touchdowns without that blocker. And maybe today, literally, you just need to repent of that and say, God, I want to be desperate for you, dependent on you. I want to follow your lead in every single area of my life. I let you be the lead blocker. Maybe you're here and you're just far from God. Maybe right now, maybe you've never made a decision to give God your life. Maybe you've never received the grace that he's already paid for. Or maybe you have in the past. Maybe you've even grown up in church. Maybe you've been coming each and every week. But you know that right now, man, your heart is so far from God. And today the invitation is that like, come back. A fresh start is available to you. So maybe you're here and you're far from God. We wanna give you a tangible opportunity right here, right now to do something about that. And we're not gonna point you out. We're not gonna make you come forward. We're not gonna embarrass you in any way. All I wanna do, if that's you, is lead you in a simple prayer. And I'm asking everybody to keep their eyes closed and their head bowed. And I wanna create just a moment between you and God. And if you're far from him and today you need a fresh start, you need to come, maybe you need to give your life to God for the very first time or you need to do it all over again. If you're here and that's you and you know that is your response, I'm gonna ask you as a sign of humility to boldly put your hand up in the air and say, God, I need you. 
on the count of three. If that's you, put your hand up in the air. One, two, three. If that's you, put it up in the air. I got you. I got you. Anybody else? I got you. Anybody else? I got you. Anybody else? Anybody else? That's awesome. You can put your hands down and just pray something like this in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I love you. And Jesus, I need you. I need you. I cannot do life by myself. I need you. I've tried and I can't. I need you. I'm desperate for you. I'm dependent upon you. And right now, I tell you I'm sorry when I've tried to live life without you. I repent. I change my mind. I change my direction. And I invite you into my life. Will you change me? And will you make me brand new? I surrender everything to you. I give you my life, every single bit of it. And right now, I receive your grace and your forgiveness. I receive your love. And today I choose, I make the conscious decision to not lead, but to follow. I choose to follow you, not just today, not just this week, but for the rest of my life, I follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Man, church, there were some people that raised their hand and made the best decision of their life. Come on, can you clap your hands and celebrate with each and every one of them? We are proud of you. That's awesome. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.